0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark, babe, has such teeth, there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie, Heath babe, and it keeps it.
1: Uh, out of sight.
2: You know so connection. welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take, episode number 108 with me Andy Clark and Matt Macklin. Hope everybody's well. It's been great to see boxing back on our screens these last couple of, couple of weekends and here's hoping that 2021 will be more eventful on the boxing front, just less eventful in the kind of life front if you like than, than 2020 there are signs that that there is light at the end of that tunnel and that hopefully maybe before too long uh, life will be recognizable uh working life and just everyday life will be recognizable as bearing some kind of equivalence to to how things used to be uh, thanks very much for getting behind the youtube channel so far uh, we've had good fun doing that Uh, Darren's done great with it. Our producer, plenty of content on there. If you haven't had a chance to get across, do, do go and have a look. What we discovered is that like everything, it's a kind of work in progress. Our plan was that our weekly kind of news take would come out every Thursday. What we've realized now is that there's there's no real point just doing it on a given day because the the whole essence of it really is to react to things quickly. So hence we did one after Avanese and Kelly nice and quickly at the weekend. And, we're just going to drop those when we feel we've got something uh, of interest to say and hopefully we're we're a, we're a good judge as to whether what we're saying is interesting or not um, so we could do three or four in a week if it's a big week or we could just do one we'll, we'll just we'll just see how it goes but back on to today's episode so for this one we welcome back somebody who first joined us in November two thousand and nineteen seems like a long time ago a long time ago now and somebody who we do still see around, but but sometimes only from a distance because fight weeks aren't what they used to be. Uh, and that's kind of what I miss most, if I'm honest, the going to workouts and press conferences and, uh, and weigh-ins and, and catching up with everybody over the course of the week, having the chance to have a chat with basically basically everyone. Whereas today's guest, I've kind of cited him kind of like over the brow of a hill at times in, in venues and uh, had a quick chat with him after White Povetkin at fight camp. but But other than that... He's a busy man, you know, plying his trade, um, making stuff happen behind the scenes, up front, all over the place. And as people have, who, who listen to this know, I do like to give our guests a bit of a, a bit of an intro, a bit of a build-up. You might think there's no real point to that because the, their identity is in the title of the of the episode, so you know who it is. Uh, but it's just something I like to do. So I was thinking today, you know, how would I? how would I describe this individual? And for, for some reason, the idea of a high school yearbook came into my mind, you know, in America they'd have high school yearbooks and they'd have pictures of, of students and underneath each one, they'd have a, a, a caption, which was some kind of prediction of what their future may hold. It would be man or woman most likely to. So I thought if, if, if we could find one of these for this person, which actually we probably couldn't because, by the age of four, he was outside train stations giving out flyers. So I don't think he he, he forred too deep into, into higher education. I could I could be wrong about that. But were we to find one, I think underneath his picture would be something along the lines of "man most likely to find a way to get shit done." I think that would be it. I think that would be it. He could tell us what he thinks about that. It's the CEO of Battery Boxing, Frank Smith. How does that grab you? If somebody had written that under a picture of you when you were. However old would that would that have been accurate? Do you think?
0: To be honest, I just like the build-up there, Andy. I was just listening to it all, and you know, I, you couldn't have said it better myself. If I, you know, and I wish you did find a yearbook of me because I haven't got a clue where there would be one. Um, so I was I was hoping maybe you'd come up and you'd just have a print out like that on the on the Zoom and just say like, here he is, like this is your life,
2: <laughs> yeah, like a kind of hijack- yeah,
1: with an <laughs> even yeah, yeah <laughs> hijack- with an even worse haircut. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I haven't, to build up like that since Apollo Creed,
2: <laughs> well, I have to keep myself busy at the minute. You know, I, I think about these things; they they kind of revolve around in my brain. But but Matt, that, I mean, that's you know, I think that's I think that's that's pretty accurate. Because, um, I mean, Eddie's Eddie's up front and, you know, Eddie's in front of the cameras and, and he's very good at that. But, but we all know, we all know, don't we, that really the kind of the Kaiser Soze of the operation, if you like, if that's, <laughs> if that's in any way an appropriate uh, comparison, is, um, is our man here.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Eddie's Eddie's like, you know, got massive charisma. He's a great talker. He, like you say, he's a, the perfect front man. He is matchroom uh, boxing, but... You need people then coming in and, and, and dotting the dot I's, crossing the T's. And just and, and as you said, getting shit done, boxing, and but especially boxing events, it shows, the amount of headaches and problems that go on, you, you, unless you're in the business of boxing, you just couldn't possibly even begin to imagine. Frank's a problem solver. He finds solutions to problems. That's what he does. That's what I think he does anyway. That's, that's what I think that would best describe
0: what he does. He gets shit done. There seems to be a lot of problems in boxing as well.
2: Oh, Oh, doesn't there ever. ever. (laughs) Actually, that brings me on to perfectly to to the first thing I wanted to to get into. Um, It's a while ago now. Uh, One of the things about COVID is that it seems to have kind of, with me at least, it seems to have really messed with my kind of space-time continuum in that some things don't seem like they were that long ago, but then other things which actually have happened more recently Seem like they were years ago. Um, Fight camp to me doesn't seem like that long ago, for whatever reason. And speaking of problems and headaches and things you have to solve, that would have been, I'd imagine, in your career so far, the ultimate. It it is a while ago, um, but we haven't really talked to you about it in any kind of detail. I mean, what was... how, How did that first even rear its head as a... As a solution or rather, actually, first of all, when it was obvious that that things were going to get really serious and there was a lot of denial in this country, a lot of denial, me included. At what point did you did it kind of register, do you think, with the company that, oh, my God, this is this is huge. What are we going to do or are we even going to be allowed to do anything?
0: Yeah, I think everyone was in the same place when back in, You think, back to March 2020 when. You know, we'd done our last show, which I believe was in Manchester with Quig and Carol. Um, and then we were actually doing a press conference for Usyk Chizora, I think about a week or 10 days after that, for the fight to happen in May. And I think at that point, we all thought, oh, May will be fine. Like, there's nothing to worry about. Give it a month and everyone will be fine. You know, everyone will stop worrying at that And we'll be back to normal. Slowly, that carried on, didn't it? You got into April, May, even then June. And we're thinking you know, when are things going to go back to normal? And looking back now, who would have thought almost a year, you know, would have probably not far off a year to the date of when we went back into lockdown, probably some point next month in March, who would have thought we'd still be doing shows behind closed doors? Um. So I think, you know, as we work through things, we move at such a pace that it's a show every week and you don't really ever have much time to think. And, you know, it's constantly, right, on to the next location, right, finish that next show. Um, so for us, it was more that period of time was really spent at the start thinking, right, how can we keep things active? How can we continue to keep the sport busy without the sport actually taking place? Um, and then how can we do something that's different to anyone else? I, I will argue I originally came up with a fight camp idea, not the full name and everything. But I remember sitting in the office in March and saying, why don't we just build an arena in the garden? and as with a lot of comments, you know, when things are very busy, it just went over everyone's head. And then about a month or so later, Eddie on our group chat with uh, Ross Garrity, who who is our COO, Eddie sends a message saying, I've got an idea. The garden. <laughs> We're going to turn it into an arena. It's going to have a canopy. It's going to have this, that, the other. We're going to have fireworks, everything. And I thought at that point, I'll stake my claim to it, but that'll be the end of it. But now, because it went so well, I think I've got to stick up for the point that, you know, I'm saying flight camp was all my idea. Um, But yeah, that that was really for for us. We had to do something different. The the difficulty was as you were, you know, as every week went by, you're constantly sitting there trying to come up with plans when really you don't know what you're planning for, because at that point it was just, you're you're just sort of blind to the fact of, right, when are we going to be allowed back? What are we doing? And you come up with all these plans and then it's being changed and then travel plans are being changed. So it was difficult. It was a difficult time as well, because we're so used to, as I say, just moving at a million miles an hour to get sit back and go, "What? got some time here. What, you know, what, what are we going to come up with? It was good, but at the same time, good in many ways, because it gave us the time to start improving things and trying to take things to the next level rather than just staying at that same level of delivering the same thing week in, week out. How can we improve that? And I guess that's what this period has given us.
1: Hey, Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go!
0: This is so crazy! I
2: did read... The boxing news panel around about that time and you featured on it I can't remember exactly when it was whether it was pre-fight camper in the middle of, of it or, or after it I think it might have been just before it and so the the kind of plans were out and we knew what was happening and and at that point obviously people are there they're staying as positive as they can I'm not saying they're spinning it necessarily but 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 people are trying to stay upbeat and that's good because uh, morale is really important but I remember you just being very honest in the panel and saying something that most people hadn't really said up until that point, which was along the lines of, let's be honest, there's nothing good about this situation. It's not good for boxing. Let's not pretend that. We've just got to do the best we can. And i would not really heard anyone say that up until that point. Um, But that was the reality, wasn't it? You know, you're forced to do something, but there's nothing wrong with just being honest about it and just saying, look, this is not, this is not a good thing, but let's see what we can do with it.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anyone in the world that it's really been good for, you know, especially in business, but at people's personal lives as well. And I think sometimes you have to look further than just your individual, you know, your position. You have to look at what people are going through. And ultimately, that, in some ways, it was good because everyone understood what people were going through. It wasn't just it didn't just affect one group of people. This affected the whole world. Um, so you know, people understood a bit better than maybe in other times where we've had problems with other things, fighters don't always understand. Um, but yeah, our plan was just as best we can deliver something that kept the momentum of the sport going because we'd worked so hard, not just us, but a number of people, to get the sport to where it was. We couldn't just come back and just do, you know, run of the mill, boring studio. And no disrespect to anyone who did do that because, again, base, base, they provided for their fighters, but we wanted to take it to that next level.
1: I suppose it really was a case of being forced to think outside the box you know, and, and then and then to try and come up with the idea that was innovative and exciting and adventurous. But then then you've got to make it work from a business point of view because, you know, we can all come up with great ideas if we've got a blank check. <laughs> but then making it work, make the financial stack up and, you know, managing fighters' expectations, putting on competitive fights, that you know, you know travel restrictions. You know, it's, it's difficult. I get you, you're really sort of playing with one hand tied behind your back a little bit because you've got so many restrictions on it. Um, yeah, I'd imagine it, I'd, I'd imagine it took a, there was a lot of hard conversations.
0: Yeah, I think the big thing as well was we were all going through something brand new that no one had ever experienced. You know, you couldn't turn around to Barry, for example. You know, normally you sit down with Barry Hearn, Eddie's father, who's been through everything, and you could say, well, what did you do in this situation in, you know, 2005, 19, whenever? But no one knew what what was going on here. We'd never been through anything like this, and the other issue was there was constant changes. So it was all well and good, you know, putting a plan in place to do X, Y, Z. But oh no, then Belgium's got gone on the ban list. So that opponent from Belgium, what are you going to do with her? Oh, this country's gone on the ban. Oh, you can't travel here. Uh, these testing regimes have changed. You need to change what you do. So it was constantly developing, and you know, we could we worked our hardest along with the British Boxing Board of Control and as a business not just in boxing but across the sports we work in you know bringing our expertise together and a lot of medical experience as well with people we work with doctors we work with to deliver the safest possible you know events because ultimately like you say there it's all well and good coming up with these grand ideas and saying we're going to do this that the other but it had to be safe as well and we were we were dealing with something none of us had ever been through we were constantly learning we're even you know i'm sure we're learning now and things are improving every every show we do i think it did give us the opportunity to take the whole production levels to another you know to to a whole nother standard like you come around the bubble now eddie keeps walking around just going how much money do you lot spend um so we'll just keep that you know we'll keep that away from him so he doesn't see it and he doesn't get upset about it but he, he keeps on saying it he keeps on repeating it so he must be a little bit wound up about uh you know walking around see the artwork everywhere see the games room you've got the ping pong table you got the pool table you have got the darts but you've got to create these things that are a little bit different um and we hope we've done that and kept everyone you know kept the audience captivated as much as possible what what have been the main difference or main challenge
1: uh between the uk and the shows in america matchroom usa matchroom
0: uk I think the most difficult thing in America, you know, we've got our team in the US who have done a great job, but the most difficult thing in the US is every state has a different set of rules. Mm. You know, every state has a separate commission. We're really lucky here in the UK that you've got the British Boxing Board of Control. They set their regulations and that's what we have to follow. And we work with them to deliver that as safely as possible. In in the US, you go state to state and everyone's got a different idea of what, what you should be doing. So we had to really put our own plan in place there um you know we stuck with we did our first show in august in tulsa on, on the street then we did a show in mexico and then we did two in florida at the hard rock and then finished with texas with canelo uh, in in 2020 um, but yeah that w- that was always difficult because you were constantly trying to evolve the plan to fit in line with each individual state um you know but we we kept active, and that was the key for us. We got our Ita- Italy shows up and running, um, and then you look at our schedule now. We've got twelve shows, eight weeks in seven different countries.
2: Yeah, that's that, that, that's very interesting. That the 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 amount of locations. There's New Zealand, there's Spain. There's there's, there's potentially some others. You know, I've heard rumours about Bivol fighting in Russia and Uzbek Card, and, and that's something we'll get onto a little bit later because I do think the idea of manages to create a true global traveling circus with boxing is, is is a fascinating one because it's just something that just hasn't really been done. People stick to the the tried and trusted hubs, and with good reason because you know where you'll sell tickets and uh, and, and and it's obvious why you would why you would do that. Um, what I'm just curious, how did you find it from a from a kind of personal point of view? Because we spoke to Eddie about this a while ago, and he just after fight camp finished actually, and he said that what he realized when he was forced to to be at home and 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 slow down was that his lifestyle up until that point for the previous couple of years since since the u.s uh operation began really when he got a chance to look at it objectively was was unsustainable possibly from a health point of view even i I mean you're here you were here there and absolutely everywhere and it's a week-to-week thing as you say you're firefighting uh every week um how, how did you did you kind of take stock of, of of your own regime of your own yeah your own life if, uh, if without getting too deep
0: yeah I, I think I've always known that the way we lived our life probably in those 18 months two years isn't wasn't in any way sustainable now I'm lucky I was when we started going really crazy and traveling every week I was 26 years old so I had a few years ahead of Eddie in health but the way I eat and the the way we travel probably was going to catch up with me quicker um but yeah you know in 2019 I did 275 days in hotels gotten about 95 flights was going from the US to the UK to Italy to Kazakhstan here there you know and it, it just didn't stop but that became the norm so you didn't feel knackered it just became that's what you were used to Don't get me wrong. If I did that for 10 years, I'm sure it would cause a few problems. Um, The one thing I found with having the period at home and lockdown was I should actually appreciate what I get to do more. Because we move at such a pace and you fly from this place to the next place to the next place, you never really sit back and go, what about that? Wow, that was amazing. What about when we did this? What about when we went to this hotel or met these people or did this, that, the other? Because it's just, right, that's another day. ticked off the list. Now, next location, please. Next problem. Um, so it's probably given. It's probably helped me in that sense. Where now, I think every time I do things moving forward, I want to actually appreciate it and go, how lucky I am to do it. Like, don't get me wrong. I work hard, and I have no problem. With it. I love working. Like that, I'm sad. My my job is my life, and everyone in my family knows that. If I didn't do it, I probably wouldn't be happy. But. I didn't ever appreciate and respect the fact of what I got to do. And that's only like a byproduct of the hard work. But when you can sit back and go, wow, look at that. Look at that 2019 year or 2020 year. Look at all the things you did and how lucky you are to do them. Um, So that's probably what I got from it. I also got to find out that my girlfriend, Emily, does love me. She she wasn't just with me because we had so much fun and traveled a lot after about. After about two or three months in lockdown, I remember we were on a walk and she went to me, This has been good, this has. I went, Why? She went, Because I've realised I do love you. <laughs> and I'd been <laughs> i been with her for about three and a half years at this point. So I was like, Well, that's lucky, isn't it? <laughs> it could have been it could have all gone the other way. But no, it was it was nice to spend time, you know, at home with her. But at the same time I, I love what I do. I love travelling and you know we have so much fun doing what we do I'm uh, so lucky to do this job yeah i think we can
1: we can echo that i think all of us that work in boxing we're passionate about it we love it we work really hard and that's why we are where we are but i think sometimes we have to you know pinch yourself to realize how blessed and lucky we are because in some ways it's not it doesn't feel like a real job because I'm, you know, I'm, don't tell Sky this, but I'd nearly do it for free. Do you know what I mean? It's like I wouldn't, obviously, because you know, we work hard. I'm, it's I'm not life. telling Eddie. I'm not telling Eddie yeah. that. <laughs> okay, well, I'll retract that one. Yeah. Strike, strike that from the record. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's um, look. You, do something you love, something you're passionate about, and you know, in theory, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that's we're all in that boat. And it, it, sometimes you do. When things slow down, bit, you get the chance to reflect where you are, and it's important to do that, I think, and it's also important to having done that, and it's great to reminisce, but then to try and actually do that as you're going, be present in the moment, enjoy the journey as it's happening, not just looking
0: back. Yeah, no, completely. And like I uh, said, I was probably guilty of the fact that I didn't do that. Um, and this has been all the way since from when I was like sixteen or fourteen doing work experience at Matchroom. When I was out leafleting at Romford Train Station or at Liverpool Street giving leaflets out or putting posters up, you know, as a kid and people knocking me back, thinking, "Mate, I don't want a leaflet about the World Darts Championship," but I'll be there in their face at, at seven o'clock in the morning at Liverpool Street Station. But all those memories as well, and I wish I remit like now. I've got this thing where I'm. I haven't done it yet, but I'm gonna start writing everything down because I wanna I wanna look back and go, Oh, do you remember that day? Because we do so many things where you go where a lot of people go, that's sensational. But because you're always thinking about what's next, you know, you don't really remember those moments. But yeah, no, I think it, it's been good in that sense. And you know, it's been a tough time for a lot of people, and you have to appreciate that as well. So also lucky to be able to sort of continue what we were doing and not be you know, too affected by it in all honesty. Hey
2: everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist. Plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast for Moto One Podcast Network Studios. I do think there's a lot to be said for the idea of keeping some kind of a a journal for exactly that reason because it is amazing what you forget. I was talking to a colleague, had a long conversation with him not that long ago who I hadn't seen for a while who I basically spent a month with at the World Cup in Germany in 2006 and, and the things I remembered he didn't remember and the things that he remembered I didn't and it was just great to just all the things that kind of kind of come back to you. With regard to the organisation of something like Fight Camp I mean were there some difficult kind of dark days almost where the the thing about embracing a massive challenge like that and entering into the unknown is that sometimes in my experience, anyway, most, most of the time you'll be upbeat about it thinking this is brilliant. This will be my finest hour. This is my chance to show what I can do in the most testing of circumstances. But then one day you're a little bit tired and maybe a little bit down and, and you might think to yourself, fucking hell this is hard work you know I'm not I'm not even sure we can do this so emotionally that that you know that that can't have been easy because well just for the reasons I outlined there
0: yeah I think I'm quite weird like I don't really get stressed about anything anymore you know as you know working in boxing every day is just an issue there's an issue of some kind of all different levels so you just sort of like it's like just firefighting and like right dealt with that done dealt with that done what's next there's going to be another problem dealt with that and that's the enjoyment of it it's just it's the pain in the arse of it but it's also what keeps you in it and keeps you going
1: with it it's a bit like you know if you want something done ask a busy man because it's just another thing that you're going to take in your stride I suppose
0: yeah yeah no exactly and that and that is where we're really at with it and you know with fight camp especially um we had I remember we had a thing with the council because there was everything going on with COVID. And then the council had, were dealing with everything around COVID for the local area. And then there was a big conversation about licensing for the event. We've got no neighbours where, where we are, really. but uh, you, you guys have been there long way off to, to, to see any houses, really. And uh, we had a lot of complaints from various people in Brentwood before we did the event. For what reason? I'm not sure. It wasn't a live music concert. We didn't have 10,000 people there. You guys were both there. We had probably 100, 150 people there, all very secure, all very safe, and all very quiet, really. There wasn't music between rounds. There was some walk-up kind of music. So I remember at the start, we were going through the process, and as with all rules and regulations, there's always different views on what what is the correct, who's got the correct view on it. So I remember a couple of days before we actually announced Fight Camp, the council came back on. And after saying, you don't need a licence, they said, actually, you might need a licence couple of days before right so we've got all this work in all this effort and i'm thinking but you you know we don't we don't need one we've agreed we don't need one we've had calls everything's done so then you know back and forth got lawyers on it this that the other and then this is two days before we're set to announce we've got all the cards in place we've got all the planning in place sky ready everyone's ready and you know it's those moments people don't really see where you're going the council just come on said you're not doing this event in seven weeks and you're sitting there thinking. And you know you've done everything right, you know, because everything we do, we has to be right. We can't take any risks. You can't even play the... someone. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sitting there. I've got Eddie going, what are you talking about? You told me we didn't need a licence. I'm going, we don't need a licence. But they're the moments where you look back and you go, that was actually quite fun dealing with that, because we had 36 hours, 48 hours to go, and they're telling us we couldn't do it. And you managed to get it all done. But that is the constant process with this sport. It's always like next challenge. There's always something. You're always under tight time frames. So that, that's what keeps it fun, I'm sure. Otherwise, we, I think we'd all be out of it by now. I was just thinking then, do you
1: remember that program that
0: used to be on? It'll be all right on the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's exactly that's it. But nothing, like... n- nothing phases us anywhere. It's like going to Saudi and walking at, into it, going, flying to Saudi for the first time. And they took me, we had a big meeting, loads of us, they took me to the site. And honestly, it was sand. And this was three and a half months before. And I said, it's here. And I went, what is? And I said, we're going to build it here. And I'm thinking, in the UK, that would take four years. And it still wouldn't be finished properly. I mean, over there, every time I went back, I did about 18 trips. But every time, it's these are the things that teach you and make you learn. There's nothing to worry about. It all gets done eventually. One way or the other, you'll fix
1: everything. And then after all that,
0: we nearly had a thunderstorm on the night. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. And, uh, at four PM, I remember at four PM. So I'm with the the local authority, like the GSA, and all the everyone there, and they're saying, "Right, thunderstorms coming. We may have to postpone." And you're thinking, all this work, everything that's been done to build this place, and it comes, and it it's never thunderstorm, and it's never rained when I've been in Saudi in any of those trips, and you're there on this one night, and You've got our health and safety people, you know, so many people involved in these scale of events. You've got health and safety people going, right, Thunder, 15 miles off to the east, and you're thinking, oh, this is at like five o'clock, hailing down with rain. And mm. and I'm trying to explain, I've got Eddie, Eddie's on the way to the venues, like, everything all right there? I'm like, yeah, a couple of issues with Thunder, but don't worry about it. But I, I sort of get to the point where it's like, I can't change the Thunder. My, my limitations are really at weather, you know. Away from that, I think. <laughs> away from weather, I think we've got. You know, we can always have a conversation about it. But that is complete. That's nothing to do with. <laughs> it. But, but that. That's why you can't get too stressed with it because ultimately it's gonna. It's gonna even not happen because of thunder and what you. No one can change that.
1: <laughs> I'm just laughing here. I can just you know imagine that conversation to Eddie when he's going
0: everything all right and you're
1: going. <coughs> well, wow. what it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what it is, there's a bit of thunder coming in from the West. I said it shouldn't be a problem, but if it carries on the west it's going, we could have an issue. <laughs> so, just referring
2: to that, what to what extent, to, Eddie doesn't listen to this, I don't think, um, to what extent do you decide what he does and he doesn't need to know?
0: Yeah, quite a lot I don't speak to because he's got his own stuff going on. You know, like when you, and also we're at the point now as a business where we're getting to the size where everyone just has to play to their strengths and his strength, he's got this in not, not me saying just, this is his only strength by the way, just in case he does listen. He's, <laughs> his, his biggest strength is being a promoter and there is no one rivals him out there at doing it. No, and not because I work for him, but no one comes close. and, that is what we've got to let him do. I don't bother him with menial stuff or anything, you know, because a lot of the time he can't change it. That's our job. That's what you employ all us people to do, basically. So we've got a team of 30, 35 people. That's our job to make it all happen. Don't worry him. Unless it's like really serious, just don't worry. Let him do what he needs to do. And I think that's where we're at a good place now, where he's he does his thing, which he's so good at. And then the rest of it, he's sort of like, there you go, you know. But I'm sure,
1: Frank, that that that's something that's, I guess, has evolved over time. And initially, when, you know, he probably, I'm guessing, when you're you're, you're a leader and all that, you're a, you can be a bit of a control freak because you're scared that people aren't going to do their jobs well enough. But over time, you've got to let people find their own feet and then, and you've obviously stepped into that position now and you know what, you don't need to run by him because you know how he, I guess you know how each other thinks anyway. So you'll think you won't like that. Yeah, he will like that. That'll be okay. You know, whatever, mm. whatever. Yeah.
0: And it's also, I think like said, it's a trust thing. He trusts us. And also you can't, you know, like, like I say, we've got so many people now, you can't be on top of every single detail. And the truth is if someone gets something wrong, it's a bit like, look, you know what you should have done there. Let's just not do it again. And fair, I've had that over the years. I've been there for 12 years now, coming up to 13. You give people opportunities. If they make a mistake, it's all right, Just right. Let's just improve that next time. And that's all you can ask for. No one's going to get through doing everything perfect. But I think if you get the right team in place that you trust to deliver in their certain areas, and again, using people's strengths. You know, some people aren't as good as other, at one thing as other things. So you've got to make sure the team are all there doing what they're best at. And that's how you get the best end product. I suppose de- de- delegating the right jobs to the
1: right people is a skill set in itself.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm quite lucky in the fact that because I started at the bottom and I will still do any job there. I'll go and make you a cup of tea if you want a cup of tea. Like. I've worked through a lot of the people's roles who now work in our team. So I can have a conversation with them. Only I'm not very good at press releases. I'll admit that now, (laughs) you know, you got to be honest with them. But I'm not the best at everything, but I have a knowledge of what their role is and what needs to be done to, you know, to help them. Because some people sometimes say, oh, what shall I do in this situation? And you can give your help and insight and to try and help them
2: how 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 has the the situation the covid situation changed or kind of developed altered whichever word is most applicable the relationship <clears throat> between the promoter and your fighters because we've seen fighters take fights over the last few months that they will say already will say well this was a fight we had planned for fighter x in, in kind of three or four fights time but due to circumstances we're taking it now you know is it is it the case that as a promoter Matt Troom has maybe a bit more leverage, if that's the right word, in convincing fighters, look, this is the fight you need to take. You know, I don't really want to give you a couple more knockover jobs. Do we need to see you in this kind of competitive fight now?
0: I think the key is, you know, we have to keep the sport relevant and take it to the next level, especially during these times. Um, we've got less fights on shows. We haven't got as much off TV stuff because of the restrictions. So we need to make sure everything we're putting out there is a, a, to a top quality. Obviously, there are going to be learning fights for fighters coming through, but there's not going to be, you just lost your 10 rounder. So here's an easy six or eight rounder to come back in, mate, because that's not what the fans want. And that's the truth, you know, like everyone. And at the same time, you know, Pete, that's where people actually get their value as well. Both fans and fighters, because you know we you, you can't be just delivering something just to say you know maybe in the past where we've had twelve slots on a show you might be able to get away with a couple of runouts for people who you know need it need need something before their big fight. We just can't get not can't get away with that now. But there's there's not the ability to do that. Um, it doesn't mean we're going to push people into the wrong fights because it's not our job to do that for the fighter. You know, ultimately, our job is when we invest in a fighter is we want to get them from here or wherever they are up to here. Now that's every promoter's job, um, so we'll always be cautious of that fact. But at the same time, we have to deliver uh, deliver value for the fans watching. Matt,
2: it's something this that we've talked about quite a bit, and uh, yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. What you say there is the promoter. You, you want your fighters to win. You're not gonna. You're not gonna chuck someone in. Deep just for the sake of it, just to get one good fight um, and see their career, you know, set back. That, that's not the name of the game. But at the same time, Matt, the name of the game does need to be progression at a good pace for fighters. And sometimes they do need to be not strong-armed necessarily, but they need to maybe be shown a bit of tough love and told, listen, you might think you need another couple of six-rounders against an away corner fighter. I'm telling you, you don't. Here's eight rounds against a proper opponent. You need to take this.
1: Yeah, look, it's always points of view as well. You know, you've got the TV, you've got the broadcaster, you've got the promoter, you've got the fighter, the manager, the trainer. All these different people have got their input or their opinions. But ultimately, the broadcaster's point of view, they've just got to put on a good event. You know, the promoter has to put on a good event for the broadcaster and the the fans in attendance. Not in this case, but, you know, generally... Then, you know, you've got the trainer who's just thinking all about training this fight and the opponent aspiring, et cetera. The manager's kind of gotta understand everyone's point of view, and he's probably speaking to everyone I and mean, he's trying to manage everyone's expectations. You've got the fight, promoter maybe be saying, Look, he's three opponents, it's gotta be one of those three. The TV are shouting at us, it's gotta be a 50-50 fight or whatever. You know, and then you, you might have a trainer saying, Oh, I don't want that fight, I don't want them, I want this one, and you're like, that's not possible. So you're in the middle and you're just trying to manage everyone's expectations. You have to see everyone's point of view. And then you've got to try and, and this could be hard work. This might take several phone calls to bring someone's expectations down, you know, bit by bit, mind conditioning, explaining, educating them, trying to get your point across, trying to get sea sense. And particularly, you know, a fight, a, a trainer might not necessarily want to take a certain fight. But as a manager, you might say, look, I, I admit it's not ideal but they don't want no one's trying to get your fight a beat here and I'm the manager I don't want to get them lost if, if I am the manager it's but I also understand that the TV if we don't take a bit of a tough fight we're not going to be on it because in this current climate climate it, it's there, there aren't 12 slots on a, a card so if you want to be on this card you're going to have to be in a fight against one of these opponents and by the way you know, I think you're going to beat this guy, or whatever Whatever way those conversations go. And you know, it's like I say, it could be you might people think, Yeah, it was just a few phone calls. Have you ever been on one of those phone calls where you're trying to get someone to see something from your point of view and they can't? You might need five or six goes at it, it's hard work, it drains your energy. And I can only
0: imagine some of the conversations that have gone on. I think also as well, you know, you look at UFC gets a lot of praise for what they've done for the sport, you know, and how they have, they put people in with each other. That's the trick, You know, you look at the fights that go on and if someone takes a loss, they come back. And that's what happens. I think that's where, sorry, someone just called. I'm doing this on my phone. Someone just called. Uh, I think that's where in boxing, maybe we need to learn a bit more and take something from that. You know, loss is not the end of the world. If you take a loss in a proper fight against a proper opponent and you give it your all, people respect that. The fans respect that. And you have a place to come back again and again and again. That's the that, that's my view on it anyway. Obviously, for a young kid you're trying to build up, That's it's not ideal a loss, is it? But they get to a point where you've done your learning fights and you need to take that step up. And I think providing you always give your all, and you should give a good account of yourself, the fans will always want you back.
1: Well, I think Gabriel Rosado is the absolute epitome of that. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a, a kid from Philadelphia, probably didn't sell tickets, I don't know, whatever, was slung in from the get-go. You know, he's, he's got a, a 50-50 type record, but he still gets plenty of sluts on TVs. He, he fights some great fighters. People know who he is. You know, you're you fighting Gabriel Rosado, you're going to get a good fight. And at, a, and at a good level, he can mix with the best of them. So, you know, losing didn't do his career any harm. And listen, I lost myself early on. By the time I fought for a world title, I'd already been beaten twice for an English title. And a British title, yeah, probably it was the making of me. So, you know, losses, you, 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 put, you, you bang on the money, Frank. You know, uh, the UFC, we can learn a lot from the UFC. It, that doesn't mean you sling everyone in. Like you say, you build a prospect, of course you do. But you get to a point where you know, you have to take the educated gamble and you've got to, otherwise you'll never step up to the
0: plate. Definitely. Agreed. Those, those
2: conversations that Matt was just talking about, you would have, you would have been in on, on plenty of them. Would, would, would you say in general that fighters have been uh, managers, um, have been understanding of the fact that the landscape has changed in terms of the kinds of fights they might be offered and the kinds of money they might be offered? Is it, has it been, has everybody worked together from that point of view? I mean, it is understandable if some, if somebody's used to a certain amount of money, if, if they then say, okay, I understand I can't get that at the moment. So I'm not going to fight. I'm going to wait. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever
0: you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Yeah, I think there has been understanding. I think people's views have changed as this has gone along. You know, people back in March 2020 were probably thinking, I'll just sit it out for three or four months because there'll be crowds back. It will be back to normal. And then slowly you get to July. August, September, October, nothing's changing. That's where people's views started to change. You know, you look at, I remember Connor Ben at the start was like, I don't really want to fight without a, without a crowd. And that's fair enough because back in March, April, you probably thought it's only a few months delay, but that dragged on. And there was a number of fighters like that. Jo- um, Josh Warrington was saying it last week at the start. He was like, let's just get crowds back in. And, you know, eventually it got to a point where you can't let your career stall for a year because of what's going on. And, you know, I think we've tried to make it as entertaining as possible and sort of give as much buzz for the fighters because they need some, but, you know, obviously fighters need some buzz. A lot of them say they get in there and they wouldn't know if there was a crowd was there or not. They're so focused on the fight itself. But I'm sure a number of fighters do thrive off of the crowd, the the fans' energy. Um, And maybe some of them have missed that. Uh, But for others, it's probably been a benefit. Yeah,
1: and I'd say also the financial aspect because obviously without the revenue of a live gate of 20,000, whatever it may be, you can't possibly pay the same money. So, you know, every business has a market value. You know, I, I, have my house value today. So whatever it was valued at, and it's like you know, even now COVID gets worse, or you know, the furlough stops, and there's a recession, and prices come down. I don't want to hear that. My <laughs> no, my house is worth this. You know, but things change. You know, so in in the, in in this. Economic climate in boxing, you haven't got a bit the revenue of a live gate. You know, I'd imagine getting fighters or managers fighters, or maybe it's harder for the manager to get the fighters to. I'm sure managers probably see that, see that, but some managers do and some don't. But to try and get them to understand, look, that money was there six months ago. It's not there now because... You know, everyone wants their what they feel they're worth. You know, you know. I don't want more, but I, don't, I definitely don't want less. I want what I feel I'm worth. But it's it's not it's not like prize money at tennis or, or snooker where it's, that's the set fee. It,
0: it's it's constantly changing, isn't it? So uh, has that been difficult? Yeah, I think look, I think a, a lot of people have understood the position. Like you say, we can't go from selling ten thousand tickets or selling out a stadium and pay you the same money. You know, a lot of people have been understanding that there has been conversations over the time which haven't always, you know, manager's job is ultimately to get as much money for the fighter. The promoter's job is to, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a biting heads where people say the promoter's job is to get someone as cheap as possible. I don't necessarily believe that because you want to deliver the best for your fighters. You now, obviously, we have a business to run. We have to, if we didn't run a sensible business, we wouldn't be here. You know that's the truth. So I would not be able to deliver for the fighters in the first place. Um, I think because, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people understand this isn't just a something that's affecting a small group of people. This is affecting the whole world. So you'd have to be blind and have your ears covered not to realise that this is going to affect my business in some way. And if your business is a, is a fighter, then naturally that changes things. So I, I think people have been good. I think the key thing has been. Just the uncertainty with timeframes, you know, because a lot of people, like I say, would have said, I'll wait and we'll be back soon. Now we're in, we're coming up to uh, the end of Feb and I still couldn't tell you when we're going to have a crowd in. Well, I I wouldn't be confident say we'll have it in for April yet. Who knows? You know, like who knows what's going to change? Because I would have said every time we feel like something good is happening, it's sort of been pulled back. Hopefully, like the government say, now is the point when we come out of this. Things have got to go back to normal, Um, and that includes live events, live sports, because people people need it, and people want to want to be there. And hopefully, that then brings the market back up and everything back to a level. Now, if we come back and live sports, you can only have a thousand people there. Still affects everyone's business. So the fighters aren't going to get the same as they were when they were selling ten thousand tickets. But I think that's quite that's easy to explain. Compared to normal, because you can't, you can't miss it. You can't; it's everywhere. You can't not see it happening. Um, and people, I think, people have come around to that fact. But at the same time, we've tried to still deliver as best as possible we can for our fighters.
2: What, one thing I found really interesting actually on the purely on the boxing front, just before we move this on to, to something else, is the kind of new breed of away corner fighter that, that you're able to call upon now because we're getting fighters who pre-COVID were very much home corner fighters, ticket sellers on, on small hall shows, who wouldn't have thought of taking a tough away corner job on a on a on a TV show, who now will, because if they don't, then they won't fight. Uh we saw Ismail Ellis the other week. He's done it a couple of times now. Uh, Dalton Smith was too much for him, but he got pulled out at the right time, and it's done him no harm. And Kane Baker's had a win on Sky after picking up a defeat against Akeep Fiyas. He, he'd been doing that kind of thing for a little while, but it's fighters like him who have, who have, you know, we'll see him again soon. You know, they're, they're getting, they're getting opportunities. And uh, you've got to be, you've got to show some ingenuity and flexibility at the minute. I guess is the, is the, is is the key takeaway. Um, so just to talk about, to move on to another subject. There's a very interesting decision coming up soon as to which way Matrim will go with with the new TV deal. Uh, will they renew with Sky? Will they go with the Zone? Will it be a mix and a match? Uh, and I can exclusively reveal to Macklin's take listeners that before we came on air, Frank promised to reveal all. So uh, in a second, <laughs> in a second, I will hand over to him and we will have a world exclusive.
0: Um, are we, are be- we finishing this interview in four, four six months? Yeah, well,
2: well. I mean, this—I mean—that—that that, you, you can't tell us. Uh, I'm—I'm I'm not a complete idiot. Um, I'm aware of that, but um, I mean, it's big, isn't it? It is. It's a big decision, and that's why it's taking—it's taking some time. Um, and everybody's kind of waiting on it with uh, with with bated breath. Any idea of the time scale?
0: Yeah. Sorry, as I was sitting there and you were saying that, I had Adam Booth walking up to me I'm in the as I said in the Matchroom radio podcast looking through the window at me like that but as if I was some kind of caged animal in here Uh, he's actually here he is Uh, there he is there (laughs)
2: There he is is. there he is Uh, is. we'll we'll wrangle him on to Macklin's take at some
0: point Um, we were Uh, supposed to they said you're uh, not really a big enough star (laughs) for Macklin's take (laughs) Um, could I have it with a coffee (laughs) as soon as I'm done I'll, I'll text you there you go see you can't escape anything in this in this no, business. No, Adam Booth um, is sneaking into
2: the back of the booth. We're recording this in the week of Avonessian against <coughs> against Kelly, which will have been a gone by the time this by the time this goes out. Uh, so anyway, D, you know, like I said, I know we're not going to press you, grill you, answer, ask you loads of pointless questions, which we you know you can't answer. Uh, but but it's got to, I mean, we're kind of sitting here thinking, God, something's got to happen soon.
0: Yeah. Look. Uh, as you say I, I can't give you an answer right now if we do this in uh in July then you know I'll be I'm sure I'll be able to tell you what's going on then you'll all know um but we've obviously been partners with Sky for a long time we do a lot of business with them um and you know if you look at the sports we have with them we have the, our darts uh, and all our multi-sports outside of just boxing as well but at the same time we've we've built a great business with Design. We've got a great relationship with them across our sports in a number of territories. Also, uh, as well as the boxing in the US, Italy, Spain, um, it's a real interesting time. There's other other parties that are very interested in looking at boxing. It's a, it's a sexy sport to be involved in right now. Um, you know, I, I can't say anything in in too much detail, but we're 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 talking down all, all avenues, um, and you know, I'm sure there'll be news soon. And the key for us really at this this stage now is I think we've all done a great job to get boxing to where it is. And now it's really how do we take it to that next level? And the, you know, the big push for us as a business is going to be on that global growth of the sport and trying to bring everything together as one. What UFC have done in MMA, that's the big push for us now. Um so, you know, as I say, lots of conversations ongoing. I wish I could tell you all um, if you call me afterwards, I still won't tell you anything. You, you you got the wrong person on it because I'm the I'm the quiet like in the background as, as you guys know just I, I, I've got a lot of info in my head but I try and keep it all in there whereas Eddie loves he's a promoter he's got a talk and he's got he would come on and go right what we're doing here is doing this and this that the other so you got the wrong person for that one <laughs>
2: What's, what's been good though hasn't it over the over what's been good to see over the course of the the, the crisis because it has been a crisis is that someone like design for example of have, of have, have kind of doubled down it seems to me um in their commitment to, to keep this whole thing going and that they're in this for the for the long haul because there were some rumors uh, whether they were based on anything solid or not I don't know uh, it doesn't matter that that maybe they were in a bit of trouble um and people seem to react to that with with a disturbing kind of glee it's just the way people are sometimes but for the long-term health of boxing and and any sport that is broadcast you want as many people wanting to broadcast it and put money into it as possible Uh, so the fact that the zone aren't just hanging in there but looking to uh, ramp things up that's I mean Matt I'll come to you with this one that's good for everybody isn't it
1: yeah, of course it's money in the sport there's more people see in the sport um look I, I you know i think and this is probably looking at the ufc thing a little bit and going back into you know the heyday of when there was one champion there was one commission there was one if it was if boxing could be centralized and controlled in that sense where there was one commission one title can you imagine how big boxing would be i mean i i, I can't remember what the UFC floated for, but it was you know it was billions, and that was MMA, mixed martial arts. Can you imagine what boxing would float for if you could create a UFC, a one? And it won't, it wouldn't have to be a complete monopoly because UFC isn't a complete monopoly over MMA. There's Bellator, there's BAMMER in the UK, Cage Warriors. I don't know, I don't really follow MMA, but I know there are several ones. But UFC is dominant enough. That it can be, it can stand alone on its own brand. Let's say, if you could do that in boxing, it would just be, it'd be multi, 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 multi billions. It'd be worth. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think I think what UFC have done so well is people, or some people I speak to, they go, "I love that UFC, the sport UFC." It's like that isn't the sport; that is the brand. They, they've become bigger than the sport itself. And that is ultimately what any brand wants to do. You know, they had a period with the UFC where, and probably still do now, it's more about that brand than the, the fighters necessarily. You know, you've got, you have always.
1: You're right, you're right, Frank. I really thought when Al Heyman launched the PBC thing, I, and he bought with buying air Tom. I really thought that's what he was trying to do. I thought that was his plan. Maybe it was with the hedge fund and everything. Maybe he just ran out of funds, I don't know. Or maybe he just didn't. Maybe, maybe at that point, boxing is just too fragmented to try and get enough of the main players involved. I don't know. But if it could be done, you know, that's where boxing would, I think, then be so much more... Um, It'd be just, it, you know, the casual fan that really, you know, the hardcore, but boxing's a niche sport when you think of the hard for, hardcore amount of people that buy the boxing news, ring magazine, etc., It's not that many people. But then when you, you get the right fight and boxing gets it right, you know, you do a million and a half pay-per-views, Joshua Ruiz, and the same in the US when you get that crossover start. But if you, I think one thing that hurts it from crossing over is how fragmented it is with all the different titles and all the different commissions and all the different networks and everything else. If you could get one champion, one title, one brand, like I say, it doesn't have to be a complete monopoly of the sport, but if you could get one dominant brand of like like, like you know, PBC, if that could have been the dominant brand, then I think you know it could really it could really go somewhere, it could really work.
0: Yeah, and I think that's our big play, our big plan now. You know, we got a I think we've done a great job, and I'm not gonna talk ourselves up, but with a number of people to, to get to where we are and get the matchroom brands where it is. And now is the plan of take it to that next level and become a global, globally recognized brand and and, and you know, really try and take over the sport of boxing. As you said, Matthew, there's always gonna be other people involved, just like there is in MMA. But we want to take it to that next level on a global scale and truly believe that the sport, you know, you look at the data points around boxing compared to MMA, when it's a big, big fight, it's huge. It's much, much bigger than UFC, uh, than MMA. Um, So there is a fan base out there if you create the right product. And that is what the UFC have done. They've created a great product. And fair play to them, like I say, uh, floated for 4 billion. Boxing could be much, 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 much bigger than that. And that's that's our key focus now, is how do we take it to that next level? Well, I
2: mentioned it a little while ago and now's the, the perfect time to revisit it. So something that I that I find really, really appealing um, and that I think could be huge in, in making boxing truly a global sport is just taking it to more locations and allowing fighters to fight on big platforms in their home countries. Because what you generally get, and historically has been the case, is that the two main hubs are the USA and the United Kingdom. And if you're not from one of those two countries, so... Let's and Germany. In, uh, and, and Germany. Germany, okay, and Germany. Let, 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 just to give an example from recent times, these fighters who have been signing pro from Ukraine, uh, top amateurs, we know who they are Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. They then have to move to America, basically, um, or or England would be a possibility. Definitely is one now uh, with 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 Matroom kind of spreading its tentacles. But that always, to, I understand why that happens, but that always to me. It seemed like such a massive shame that Gennady Golovkin didn't have a load of fights in front of a packed house in Kazakhstan. Um, that the other fighters haven't been able to do the same thing. But what I'm hearing now is that maybe this can happen. That Bivol can have his next fight in Russia. That's something I'm hearing as a possibility. Uh, that Akmaliev and Badrakhov um, and Giassov will fight in Uzbekistan. Uh, because you're making signings from fighters all over the world, uh, and to be able to. To have them perform in front of their own people, in front of their own countrymen, where, where there is definitely a demand for it, because they're crazy about boxing in Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Japan, there's a big backing for it too. I think that would be that would be epic. Um, previously, people haven't done it because they will talk about infrastructures of feasibility and and cost, basically. But, you, I mean, presumably, yeah, and, the, the feeling and, and, is that it is doable now.
1: And, and Andy, TV money, it was always US TV money, HBO. It just called the shots because it was the paymaster. So, you know, you could be a great star from Japan or Kazakhstan or wherever, but their TV money, as opposed to the budget that HBO had, it was just it just smashed it out of the park. It, was, it wasn't even a conversation. But with The Zone, obviously, Frank can answer this a lot better than me. Being an app and a global thing,
0: then... I suppose that now is possible. Frank, you can answer that obviously much better than I can. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, essentially, you've now got the zone, which you know, it's not their official term, but it's the Netflix of sport. You can watch it anywhere, you know, in, in all these territories. And one of their key focuses is boxing, which is great for the sport. You know, they've got they. It's plain to see. Everyone's seen it. They've invested heavily into the sport of boxing, and you know, I believe they're they're truly behind. The sport and the growth of the sport um you know I, I can't believe that these guys that you mentioned there haven't fought in their in their home countries. The one you mentioned there at is going to fight Iwasa, which' working to finalize that now in Uzbekistan early April um with Giasov as well on the card and Madramov. Now these guys are celebre- like huge stars in Uzbekistan they've got millions of followers it's It's mad to think that they haven't been pushed there. And, you know, it, it takes time. It takes time to build uh, the relationships locally. But again, that's where I'm, you know, like I said, the focus for us is now, you know, you've got Rungvisai in Thailand. You've got Parker in New Zealand. You've got the our show in Spain, the Garcia. You've got uh, Scardina fighting in Italy. Now, Scardina's becoming a massive star in Italy now. He was on uh, Dancing with the Stars there. And, you know, people will laugh at Dancing in the Stars, but... This is how you cross over and build stars in their in their country, and then the aim is to do, you know, we build Scardina in Italy, and we do a big fight in the US with him. Then he goes back to Italy and has a fight. All these guys, we can, you know, that that's the plan to build them around the world and have the ability to put them on our UK show. Have the ability to put them on, you know, Danny Ilyushinov in Kazakhstan. Another example, you know, great great fighter, huge star. Um, Olympic medalist and you know we'll go back to Kazakhstan and sell an arena out. Um so yeah, it's it's very exciting because that's where our next steps are is going into these local markets and building these stars, just like we've done in the UK, just like we're doing in the US, just replicating that. And you know, it's it's not of course it's not easy, you know, doing 50 shows a year in 10, 15 different countries, but building something to that scale is is never going to be easy. And, you know, otherwise everyone would be doing it, wouldn't they? And this is the fun part of it. This is the proofs in the pudding. We've got this opportunity now to go out and, you know, along with building the sport of boxing, building these stars and giving them the platform they deserve. Yeah,
2: I, I just think fighters fighting in their own backyard. There's just so much to be said for it from a from a spectacle point of view. Uh, Matt, Matt, Matt made the point of what has prevented it from happening before, but it's 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 just a great thing because you look at UK fighters, the advantage they've had boxing at their kind of like local fortress. Uh, it doesn't happen so much in the USA, but you think about Crawford in Nebraska, Wilder in Alabama. You know, huge local followings. Um, and just the idea of 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 let's just say they're, well, Lomachenko's not 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 with you. Um, Usyk, I'm not really sure. But imagine a double bill with Lomachenko and Usyk in Kiev, something like that. Just be yeah. absolutely tremendous. Um, yeah. It really would.
0: I, I think as well, and I'll probably get a bit stick for this. I think in the past, promoters have been lazy. I think a lot of boxing promoters know boxing. They know the sport of boxing, which is great, which is the important part of working in the sport, obviously. But they have no clue how to build build the sport, I don't believe. You know, it's like you look at the US for many years. You wouldn't sell tickets. Promoters wouldn't sell tickets in the US because they were lazy. They'd get their TV money, their huge money, like you say, Matt, from HBO, Showtime, whatever it was, and they'd just be content in, you know, taking their profit out of the TV margin. And there was no real wish or want to build the sport. And I think uh the other, last week, and we said, uh, you know,
1: I, 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 I kind of said this to him. I said, look, putting a show on in say New York at Christmas, where the hotel rooms are through the roof, and the gardens not cheap to rent, and everyone's in town for seven days, and you got per diems. It's expensive to put a show on, and Lou's like, yeah. So from my, he said, from my point of view, I take a site for Atlantic City, they give me a deal on the rooms, it costs me very cheap to put the show on, and I know I don't have to worry about selling tickets; it's they do it for me. So. But you're right, in order to really build that person that you're promoting, to really promote him and really do your job properly, to build him into a star, it it, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of investment.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at Demetrius Andrade when he fought in Providence. You know, we took him back there. He had seven odd thousand people in there going crazy. It was one of the best atmospheres I've seen in America. And that's not rocket science, is it? Let's take this guy who lives there to his home, you know, hometown. To fight in his home arena in front of his people. But it's not difficult. Let's not just take him, you know, the other part of, you know, America's a different, a whole different ball game, isn't it? Because every state is like its own country. But that's been the that's been the history of it, Matt, like you said there. Let's take him to a casino where we get our site fee, nice and easy, don't have to worry about selling tickets. But that isn't ever going to grow the sport. And that is where, you know, I feel in the US especially, it's taken us time. Don't get me wrong, we had you know, not every show we did from the start to finish did we smash out ticket sales in the US. won't lie about it, but as we started pre-COVID, as we started looking at our ticket numbers, they were going up and up and up and up because it's just about building these stars, not just sitting back and going, got my got my TV money. Let's just uh, we'll do it in a casino in front of a thousand people. I think one of the key ingredients, Frank, with
1: yourself, with Eddie, with Matchroom as a company, and I know the, the, bu- the boxing team, you're young, you're hungry. You know, a lot of these guys in America, you know, Lou said last week he's been doing it 31 years. Lou probably couldn't be asked to go to Providence and to, and take a risk on the money and graft these balls up and, and and possibly lose money when he can go to Atlantic City or wherever, Foxwoods, where I fought Golovkin. You know, and he just gets a sight beat, done. he ain't going to worry about it. And I think the thing that where Matchroom is, and, you know, even, even if you just look at Matchroom as a business the last few years, Doing the deal with the zone, big move. It's like, I think you, you're kind of, you, your staff have got to be young and hungry. You know, these, you need, you've obviously got the experience of Barry overseeing and different things, but yourself, Eddie, and, and the rest of the team, you're a young team. If, if everyone was kind of late 50s, been there seen it a bit,
0: probably couldn't be asked. Hmm. Yeah, now everything's exciting for us. And I think because we're so close to the, we're lucky because. We're so close to the end product. We get to see from day one when you sign a fight and say we're doing it in this arena and tickets can't sell. We get to walk out. And this is what drives me on, I think. We get to walk out at a venue and go, wow, we've got 10,000 people in there going crazy. And we created this from day one. There is nothing worse than walking out. And again, we've all been there, not going to lie. But walking out and going, we've got 3,000 people in this 10,000 seat arena. What an absolute flop. And there is nothing that kills you more inside. And if you don't have that passion for it, to actually have some pride in what you're doing, then you should just quit now. So I think a lot of boxing promoters should probably just quit now because they haven't got the passion for it. But this is the passion we need to take the sport to a whole nother level.
2: There's nothing like a sold-out arena. I know... You know, people will probably be sitting there listening to this weeping because we can't have crowds at the minute, but there is just nothing like it. It doesn't matter how big it is. And that's what's so great about about York Hall. And in London, we could probably do with another one that's a bit more kind of mid size, but you, you can't have everything. But a sold out York Hall is just brilliant. It's just absolutely fantastic. And and any any arena when you know the, the, the lights go down. Well, and, the copper oh, box just the best thing.
1: There that's is the copper network
2: box. Network. Yeah, that's right. That's down the road from me. But-
0: but like I say as well, we've all been like you know you look at boxing, even matching boxing. Twelve years ago, it was in leisure centres. That wasn't the, that wasn't growing the sport. So I'm not putting anyone like that. That's people like that was at that time. That was what the plan was. But it was it was never going to grow the sport. So now. we've got to grow the sport. And in turn, if we grow the stars and we grow the fighters and we grow in local markets, that is naturally just going to grow the sport to a whole nother level. And it will be to the benefit of everyone involved in it.
2: So just one more quick one before we let you go,
0: we had Bob Arum,
2: uh, or not that long ago, and he was saying how he feels that the relationship between promoters and, and different people in the same business on the business side of boxing used to be more collegial was the word he used that there would be more kind of conversations in bars there would be more discussions off the record i mean everything was kind of off the record then but but now that means that it won't get reported in social media won't be kind of discussed in in public and that things would work better if if things were more like that now and it just occurred to me that that matt Troom would be in a good position to comment on whether that kind of collegiality if that's a word exists it exists in america it exists in america or not because not that long ago you were the new boy at school and when you're the new boy at school how you get treated by the other pupils by your new classmates is quite revealing so bob could talk about collegiality all he likes but how were you how how were you received when you went to America? I, I wouldn't imagine that people were bending over backwards to make introductions from rival organizations and help you out.
0: Firstly, I want to find out whether collegiality is a real word, but we'll deal with that afterwards. I've never heard of it. I might just not be that intelligent. Um, look, ultimately we're competitors, aren't we? You know, we're never gonna like we're never gonna see completely eye to eye. We might have a relationship and go, hey, how you doing? Yeah, nice to see you. Have a chat, sit down. Like, I'll get on with lots of people at Top Rank. I'll get on with people at PBC. But we're competitors at the end of the day. Our business, our businesses are really to outdo the others. You know, Because otherwise, that's what business is about. You know, don't get me wrong. There's, there's going to be times where something makes sense for both parties. You know, like we've worked with them before. we worked with all promoters before. Errol Spence came to fight kelbrook uh, Kel in the UK, didn't they? Um, when Ramirez fought Hooker in the US, top-ranked fighters are coming across. But sometimes it doesn't make sense for both sides. So at that point, you have to put aside the relationship of, yeah, we can all sit around, have a chat, get on and go, no, we've got to, this is our business. We've got to worry, not worry, but we've got to build our business. We've got to build, again, we're building the sport of boxing. So if we make a move that makes sense for our business, it's not always going to make sense for Bob Arum's business and top-rank, is it? But at the end of the day, competition is good for the fighters. And the fighters are getting in there in the most, you know, in one of the most dangerous sports in the world. They deserve everything they get. And if competition drives that to a point where a fighter's getting paid more, fair play to it. Like, right? and that's what we've always got to remember. We've never had a fighter leave us who's getting paid more money and we sat there and gone, oh, what on it, you know, that they've made the right decision for themselves. And in a sport that is so tough. So us having competition with other promoters is brilliant. And what should continue? And, you know, when we went to the US, no, oh, no one was bending over to help us. It's all well and good, isn't it? When people are in a position of power for someone to go, you know, I don't need to help anyone else. But when someone else has then got the power and, you know, as something over on someone or could could do something that could affect their business in a way. It's easy, isn't it, for them to say, Oh, we should all work together, guys. It's you that one, isn't it? Be careful,
1: be careful how you are on the way up, because you might meet them on the way down.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it should it should be the same throughout, shouldn't it? I'll shake your hand, we'll say hello, we'll get on. Like personally, I've got no issue with you. Even in business, I've got no issue with you. But we have got competing businesses. So some things that you may want, I may also want. So that's just the way it is. So, yeah, sometimes we'll work together and everything will be hunky-dory. Other times we might want something that they also want. You know, if we're trying to sign a fighter and they're going, oh, let us have this and we'll do... No, no, no. Sometimes we're going to go at each other. And that's just the way it is. And that's for the good of boxing and good for the, for the good of fighters. And that's what the fighters truly deserve is, you know, a fair marketplace where there is competition because they des- they, they get what they deserve. And that that's also why, at the same time, I think, The sport of boxing is great, is because and what we see day in day out is the fighters are getting what they deserve. You know, fighters are getting paid the right money. You know, you sometimes look at maybe what UFC, what UFC's business model is, and you know, I think they're talking about it at the minute, and what the fighters' share of purses are, etc. It's quite well publicised. Boxing's on a whole nother level today, isn't it? And again, like I say, it's a very dangerous sport, and everyone who gets in there. And and you know gets in there to have a fight. They deserve everything they get. And if again the competition of promoters helps that fair play. Let's carry on. Let's have it. And you know we're looking forward to the next five years because we're going to take over the sport. And there you know there won't be anyone there.
2: Big talk, big talk. We'll leave it there. We'll love leave it, it there. I love it. We love it. <laughs> we do, we do, absolutely. That's absolutely, I'm all over that like a rash. Um, it, it just I, I was listening to Dixon's podcast, which I do almost every week. Uh, the one he did with Barry Hearn a few weeks ago, and 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 yeah, it, it's it's that that is the matrim ethos, isn't it? But Barry, the way he just explained it was ultimately everybody will do what is in their own best interest. Um, sometimes or often, your own best interests and somebody else's will coincide, and you'll work together as soon as they no longer coincide you'll shake hands and go work with somebody else and that's just mm. that's that's just how that it's just how that works that's just how that works so frank thanks very much thanks very much for your time this has been great fun and uh, there'll be a part 3 to this definitely i'm off to look up collegiality in the dictionary um and then once i once i've done that we're very much looking forward to the to the to the show coming up at the weekend um if you could give us a rate and a review on this that would be great get over to the youtube channel and, and check out the stuff that that's going up there that would be that would be good too it's it's always a an organic process with um, with macleis take we're just going to grow that and see what see what happens but it's uh, it's all good fun uh, we're still very much enjoying this um and good to have boxing, rolling, uh, boxing back rolling, like I said, right at the very start. Let's let's keep our fingers crossed that this is going to be a, a great year. So we will catch you all again next time. Can I stop you
0: there, Andy? I've just Googled collegiality. It's a real word. It's companionship <laughs> and cooperation between colleagues who share responsibility. Oh, there, there you go. go. There you, there go. There you I go. go. I just... I, I just pulled that off the top to of my it. head. I just
2: pulled exactly. that off the top of my head. It's well, bob bob bobs a bobs an educated man so I could have relied on him to 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 choose the right word in in collegial but then uh, my linguistic background has allowed me to extrapolate it out further. So that's a massive that's a massive okay. win for me. That's a massive win. Uh, I finished this I finished this podcast on the crest of a wave. Uh, I'm off to do some push-ups. Catch you all again next time. <laughs>
1: Not that
0: Maggie Back in town I said Jenny Diver Whoa, sooty tawdry
1: Look
2: out to Miss Lottie Linger And old Lucy Brown Yes, that line falls On the
0: right, babe Not that Maggie
2: Podcast Network.